2: There are a lot of tragedies that happen in our world just because we live in a sinful world, just because we're subject to a fallen world where there is evil and there is sin and there is death and there is disease and there's hardship and there's betrayal and there's all kinds of things that we shouldn't necessarily blame on God. Now, sometimes does he use hardship to get our attention? Yes, of course. But to lay the blame at the feet of God every time something hard comes into our lives, that's not good theology. And this is Naomi's problem. She blamed God for every bitter thing that's happened in her life.
1: We know because we have seen firsthand that we live in a broken world. We are constantly battling the hurt we go through. We have all grieved a lost loved one or battled fear and anxiety or got that bad diagnosis or whatever it may be, we all struggle with something. In today's message, Pastor Gary will encourage you to accept that that is just our reality. That is just life till Jesus' has returned. God can use your tough times and he can use your good times for his glory and for his almighty plan for your life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ruth, chapter 2, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: Let's go to the book of Ruth, will be chapter 2, her name in Hebrew is pronounced with a hard T, root, just like the root of a tree. So if you'll take your Bibles there in your Old Testament, that go to Ruth, chapter 2. So let's start with prayer as we open up our Bibles together. Lord, it's good to be in your house We pray, Lord, now that you would use this chapter in the book of Ruth to speak to us. We thank you, Lord, that you reveal yourself through every page of the Bible. And we just are glad to be in your house. Even as the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so it's good to be here, to be in your presence, Lord, to worship you. And so we pray now that we might focus on what you would say to us through This chapter of Ruth, we love you and we thank you that you first loved us. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. All right, Ruth chapter 2. We started this uh, book study last week, so I'm going to just walk to the back wall and just do a quick little review for us. For those of you who were not here to get you up to speed, Uh, the book of Ruth is the first of two books named for a woman. The other book is, of course, Esther. Ruth is a Gentile in our story, specifically, she's a Moabite. The Moabites were children of incest because of a relationship that happened between Lot and one of his daughters. Uh, the writer of this book is unknown. It is thought to be Samuel. That's according to the Jewish Talmud, but we don't know according to Scripture. And the time of events uh, that this book covers is uh, during the period of the judges. We don't know exactly what part of the judges, but in Ruth chapter 1 verse 1, it says during the time of the judges. So that's the book just previous to the book of Ruth. It is likely that this story happens somewhere early in the book of judges. Because Ruth ends up marrying a man named Boaz, and Boaz's mother is Rahab. And Rahab is first mentioned all the way back in Joshua chapter 2. So that's the background of this book. Now, in the first few verses of chapter 1, we are introduced to a few of the principal characters in this story. The couple, a husband named Elimelech. His name in Hebrew means, my God is king. His wife's name is Naomi. Her name means pleasant or delightful. They have two sons. Uh, their son, son number one is Malon, meaning sick or weak. Son number two is Kilion meaning tired or dying. So we you know we we affectionately call them sick and tired, but that's what their names mean. And there's a famine in the land of Israel during this particular time. And as a result of the famine in Israel, uh the four of them uh leave Israel and they go to a foreign land on the other side of the Dead Sea. Uh, known as Moab And so the story first takes place in Bethlehem But because of the famine, they move into the land of Moab Or in Hebrew, it's really with a V, Moab And uh, they will stay there for 10 years, the Bible says Because of this famine And during this period of the 10 years The two brothers uh, get married And uh, they marry Uh, uh, Two women, one named Orpah, whose name means gazelle, and the other woman, who's the uh, subject of our story, Ruth, uh, her name means friendship. And uh, so they marry these two women who are Moabite women. Now, these guys are Jewish guys, and they're marrying Moabite women. Uh, Jewish tradition says that because they left Israel, instead of just trusting God during the famine... And they escaped and went to a pagan land where they married pagan women, Uh, that that's why, tragically, in our story, the three men die. It tells us in the opening chapter, Elimelech dies while in Moab, Uh, Malon dies, and so does Kilion. And so just the three women are left, all widows at this point. Naomi then, after the famine is over, And 10 years has passed, as I said. Naomi decides she's going to go back to her homeland and specifically back to the town of Bethlehem. And she says to her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, you girls just stay here. This is your land. These are your people. You know, my sons have died, so you all just stay here. And Orpah says, okay, And she kisses Naomi, and she just stays there. So we're crossing her out of the story now, too. And the only two who are left are Ruth and Naomi. And Ruth pleads with Naomi and says, no, 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 no. If you're going, I'm going with you. And there's this beautiful passage in chapter 1 where she says, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Wherever you go, I will go. And so she actually is, Ruth is showing here her desire to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She is a Gentile woman who is a Moabite, so she's a pagan worshiper up to this point. But she's been introduced to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through this family, and now she wants to worship that same God. And she has affection for Naomi. This is a, this is a wonderful you know, story of kindness and love on many different levels, and this is one of them. A daughter-in-law for a mother-in-law, not your everyday kind of a friendly relationship. You know, I hope you have one of those, but they have a loving relationship. So Ruth says, I'm going with you. And Naomi pleads a little bit and, you know, says don't, but she decides, okay, come with me. So they are going to leave now, Moab, and go back to Bethlehem. That's where the rest of this story transpires. So everything from here on happens back in Bethlehem. Bethlehem obviously is an historic town. It's the birthplace of Jesus, the birthplace of David before him, King David. It means the house of bread. Bethlehem translates the house of bread. It was known for its wheat harvest, and from that much bread was made. And again, it's ironic that there was such a famine in the land of a place which is called the house of bread. There was no bread in the house of bread. But but now the famine is over. It's 10 years past. Naomi goes back. When Naomi returns to her hometown, to among her own people, she's been gone for 10 years, but they still recognize her. Only now she says to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. Because of her circumstances, she's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. She feels bitter in life. She wants to be called bitter. She believes that God has punished her. She says, the hand of God is heavy upon me. He's caused this. And so I I won't go into all of this again, but it is sad theology. When you believe only in the sovereignty of God concerning the bad things in your life. And you blame God and you think he's sovereign related to your tragedies. Hey, there are a lot of tragedies that happen in our world just because we live in a sinful world, just because we're subject to a fallen world where there is evil and there is sin and there is death and there is disease and there's hardship and there's betrayal and there's all kinds of things that we shouldn't necessarily blame on God. Now, sometimes does he use hardship to get our attention? Yes, of course. But to lay the blame at the feet of God every time something hard comes into our lives, that's not good theology. And this is Naomi's problem. She blamed God for every bitter thing that's happened in her life. So much so she wants people to call her Mara. Now they won't because the rest of the story she's referred to as Naomi, but you can hear her heart. And so, you know, I point these things out not for condemnation. You know, I mean, look, if, if, if we had lost a spouse and two kids, uh, there's a tendency for us to become, you know, jaded in life too. And so we have to fight against that kind of thing. We have to, you know, pre- those are the times to press into God, not to blame God or to flee from God. Because if you do that, then where else do you have to go? And where else will be the source of your comfort? Who else is going to be helping you in your time of grief if not the Lord himself? So it's important that even in the difficulties and the heartaches and the stuff that doesn't make sense in life, we press into God even more so because we will only find comfort and grace and grace and, and um, the kind of ministry that we need from the Lord that nothing and no one else can really provide for us. So this is where we are now at this point in the story as we pick it up here in chapter 2. Verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. Okay, that's Naomi's deceased husband. So there's a relative in, in the family. And his name was Boaz. So we're now introduced to kind of the, the man of the love story here, Boaz or Boaz. And this is a, you know, we've, we've already been told here in, in verse one that he's a man of great wealth. So he's, he's, he's got high social standing. He's very successful guy. Uh, in fact, his name, Boaz in Hebrew means strength. He's a strong, successful guy. He's a guy, he, he doesn't tie sweaters around his neck. He doesn't drive a Prius. He doesn't watch the Hallmark Channel. He doesn't drink Diet Coke, okay? This is a guy, this is a guy, that, was, that just covered a lot of people right there. I didn't really mean to like, you know, just fire a machine gun, but this is, Boaz is a strong guy, strong guy. His name means strength. And here he comes into this story. Now, this is, this really is, as I said, on many levels, a love story. It's not just the love of a daughter-in-law for a mother-in-law and a mother-in-law for a daughter-in-law. This is a story of a man and a woman here. Now, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pick up pretty quickly because Boaz is going to see Ruth here, and uh, and he's going to have a reaction. Verse 2. So, Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi... Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. <laughs> you know, so she's just like, she's noticed him. That's where it starts, friends. You got to notice somebody, right? And so she notices him. And she's like, let me go glean some wheat in his field. Now, let me tell you what this is referring to. And you can turn there and just listen. But Leviticus, just a couple uh, books to the left... In Leviticus chapter 19, there was a gracious provision within the law for helping people who were poor. Now, clearly, Naomi and Ruth are poor. These are two women who've come back after 10 years. They have no livelihood. We don't even know where they're living. They're just, they're staying somewhere. What kind of food do they have? What kind of of supply do they have? Like zero. Their husbands are dead. And so... They're poor. And within the Levitical law, God made gracious provision for the poor. And this is what he says. Now, this is Leviticus 19. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. Just two verses. Leviticus 19, verse 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. What is God saying? What he's saying to farmers is when you harvest your fields, whatever it might be, don't be so meticulous to take everything, leave the corners. And along the way, when you take your sickle, they didn't, they weren't driving these big combines back in the day. But whenever you take the sickle and you're harvesting whatever it might be, or you're clipping the, the grapes from the vineyard and some of it falls to the ground, don't pick it up. Let it lie there so that people who come along who are poor or strangers in the land can help themselves to what is there in the field. So th- this was the equivalent of like, you know, social assistance back in the day. It's like it's like they don't have welfare. They don't have, you know, government helping them with things. And so this is a way to help the poor and the disadvantaged and the stranger. Now, I want you to notice it's interesting. Within just those two verses I read from Leviticus 19, it's teaching those who have what they have to be generous. Like, you know, it's okay. Like, be generous, bless people. And it's teaching those who don't have anything to work for it. Don't forget that part, right? So if you have means, be generous. If you don't have means, work hard. It's not like he said, now, to you farmers, you leave it there, and then you package it up, and you distribute it freely among the people. No, he just says, you leave it in the field. The people who are poor and the strangers, they have to go working for it. They have to go out in the fields and get it for themselves. So it's both. It's be generous if you have the means. And it's work hard if you don't. And so, this is what's happening back here in Ruth chapter 2. Ruth is poor with Naomi, so she's like, this is an opportunity for me to go gather some of the harvest here. At the end of uh, chapter 1, it tells us it was the beginning of barley harvest, and, and so she's going out into the fields, and she's going to glean, and... Um, She, she must have noticed Boaz here because she says, let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. What is she saying? I hope, I hope he notices me. Right? I hope, I hope he likes me. I hope he notices me. Now she's, now she's not like a stalker. You know, she's not like going out here, you know, talking about stalks. She's, she's gathering wheat stalks. She's not, or barley stalks. She's not stalking a man. But, but, you know, listen. This is what I tell people sometimes. Like, single people are like, I can't find Mr. Perfect. I can't find Mr. Perfect. I don't know where Mr. Perfect is. Okay, first of all, there is no Mr. Perfect, okay? He's not a stud. He's a spud. There's no perfect man. And then the guy's like, you know, where is she? Where's my princess? Where's my... Okay, there is no perfect princess, okay? She's a diva, but she's there. And so Spud and Diva have to meet each other. And that's the first thing. Like, go where people are. People sit around and go, you know, I don't know. I can't find anyone. How about, how about going to the young adults group, you know, on Monday nights? And, like, pick, pick the right places to go. Don't be going down to Georgetown and thinking you're going to find Mr. and Mrs. Wright. They're not going to be hanging out at a bar in Georgetown. It's like, go where, go where classy people are, okay? Now, that isn't to say there's some classy people in Georgetown. If you're from Washington, D.C., don't, <laughs> don't send me emails, okay? Uh, Georgetown is nice. I'd love to walk through there. There's that cupcake factory place. There's a lot of good things there. All right. But you get my point too, right? Like if you think you're going to just bar hop and find somebody, like think again. Like go where classy people are who love Jesus. And so Ruth is at least saying I'm just going to make myself noticeable here, so she goes out. And so Naomi says to her, "Go, my daughter." Verse 3. And then she left and went out and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come, you know, she just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Who was of the family of Elimelech? Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, "The Lord be with you." And they answered him, "The Lord bless you." That's, let me translate that scene right there. So Boaz is a wealthy guy, and he pulls up in his land rover just to check on his fields and his employees. And he gets out of his Land Rover and he's like, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. And they respond. And the Lord be with you. It's like, do you think to yourself, that doesn't happen where I work? <laughs> it's not, does your boss walk into the room and go, the Lord bless you. And everybody pops up from their cubicles like gophers and like, hey, and the Lord bless you. Probably doesn't happen. <laughs> but it does here. Because like, Boaz, is, he's a, a virtuous guy and he loves God and he, and he loves his employees. And so he's coming and checking on them. And, and he just pulls up. He's like, the Lord be with you. And they're like, yeah, and the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge, this is verse 5. So now he speaks to the foreman, the foreman of the reapers. And he says this. He goes, whose young woman is this? Now, the only disadvantage we have with the Bible is we can't understand tone or inflection. So he might, he might have either just said, he might have either said, whose young woman is this? Or he might have been like, yo, 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 mamacita, who? <laughs> whose young woman is this? You didn't know Spanish is in the Bible, did you? <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. Like, is, is he just like, yo, 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 whose young woman is this? Or is he just kind of matter of fact? I mean, he's a decent guy here. To, you know, whose who's young woman is this? So. So the servant who was in charge, so the foreman, the foreman of the reapers, answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, now they're quoting Ruth, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. So they're giving him like the lowdown. He's like, who who is this? Well, well, this this is the young woman who came with Naomi from Moab, and she's been here working all day in the fields. And she rested for a little time, but she's otherwise been working all day in the fields. Now, ladies, question. I want you to think this is hot. This is Israel, okay? You've been working in the fields all day long. How do you think you're feeling at that moment? Especially when a guy comes along to notice you. Probably a little funky, right? You're just like, I just, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't and this guy's walking around me and I you know, she's probably thinking to herself, like I'm not I'm not I'm not probably in the best attire. She probably looks a little dusty, and it probably is not the most opportune time to be meeting a guy like this. However, I don't get the indication at all in this story that she's much concerned about that because the Bible describes her in chapter three. If you just glance over at chapter three, verse 11 as a virtuous woman, chapter three, verse 11. And now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for for you all that you request for all the people, for all the people of my town. Know that you are a virtuous woman all the people of my town, her reputation was her virtue. That's the most important thing that any of us can have. But in the context of this story, as a woman, Ruth, it wasn't her outer beauty that was most important. It was her inner beauty. It was virtue. And that was her reputation. Everybody in town knows that you're a virtuous woman. So Back here, verse, verse eight, back in chapter two, verse eight. So then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter. Will you not? Now he's, he's being kind to her, but it just sounds, you know, a little odd there, but he's, he's affectionately calling her my daughter. There's obviously no, no relationship there, but he, but he says, Do not go. Notice this. Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women, now what's he doing right there? He, he he wants to provide for her. He's like, don't go somewhere else, uh, just stay right here. And then he says, verse nine: Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have notice? Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn now notice here he is wanting to do two things for her provide for her and protect her and
1: open ocean, jump in and you'll find the your connection run towards your new life. Thank you for listening to this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Although the following words may be familiar to you, it packs a powerful punch of loyalty in a time of great famine and war. Listen to these words from Ruth 116 as she is pledging to not leave her mother-in-law, Naomi. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge... I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And in verse 17, Ruth says, Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Now, that's commitment right there, with a whole lot of love mixed in. Ruth decided to stay and provide for Naomi, Did you know Jesus is the same with us? He's committed to you to love and care for you. If you have questions about today's study, you can let us know at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Again, that's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Cornerstone Connection is a radio ministry of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to learn more about us. That's it for today. Join us again on Cornerstone Connection.
2: That you've got no place to go, but still you know. But still you know you're not. Alone.